Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I am Amina Tussauds. And I'm Anne Friedman. On this week's agenda, racial bias in stores and coffee shops and what happens when white people call the cops, whether women candidates should talk about their experiences with harassment or just keep it under wraps. We shake our heads at Shania Twain. Ugh, so unimpressed. Plus, a blood drive update. You are all heroes. Hey, girl. <laughs> you sound tired. Not to do that to you in the way that, wow. like, workplace, you sound tired. But you do. <laughs> you sound tired is the equivalent of you look tired, girl. No, it's not as loaded <laughs> as you look tired. It is, it is an expression of concern slash mutual intensity. You know, Anne, I am tired. I am tired <laughs> as society's weight on my life. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, but that is a real reason to be tired. No, it's true. I'm tired. I was trying to go shopping for a dress this morning for like all this fun stuff. I have coming up in Australia. Shout out to Australia. If you live in Sydney, I will be at the Sydney's Writers Festival. Come say hello. But anyway... So I like went into the store because it was a dress I wanted. I wanted to try it on. And you know how monumental it is for me to go into brick and mortar stores. I don't believe in like shopping inside a store. It's so. Mm -mm. In the year of our Lord 2018, this never happened. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't do stores like that's wild. Anyway, I go into the store and I have a distinct feeling of being followed. You know, but first I'm, you know, I'm just like paranoid all the time. So I was like, oh, it's just my paranoia kicking in. And then I turn around and no, no, an employee is legitimately following me and eyeing like every movement that I have. And not in that way of like, I want to earn a commission. Like, do no, you need no. help? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just not to clarify. A, it's not in that way. Not in the like, how do I help you? It was very much uh, like, you look suspicious. So I'm going to follow you around the store. And then I turned around, we made eye contact, and uh, she was very much like, can I help you? Not in a helpful way. That's when, like, all of my mother's instinct, like, kicked in in me. And I was like, listen, if you are going to follow me around the store, you are going to have to do some serious cardio. So I started getting her <laughs> pulling things from racks that I didn't need, sizes that I don't wear, like, things that I cannot afford, and, like, bringing it all to, like, dressing rooms and all this stuff. And just, like, basically being, like, the worst kind of customer. But, you know, it just, I hadn't felt this way, like, in, like, I have never had the feeling of being followed in a store in the United States. It's definitely happened to me a lot in Europe when I was growing up. But also, yeah, I just don't do brick and mortar stores. So it had not happened in a really long time. The only store where people follow you creepily around all the time is the Aesop store. But they're literally doing it because they're trying to, like, convert you to the Aesop cult. So that's different. <laughs> right. Well, and there's a difference between someone trying to earn a commission and someone who exactly. is racially profiling you. Or somebody yeah. who's, like, very helpful. Like, at, mm -hmm. you know, like at the ordinary store like that we were in recently or even, like, at Aesop. And I'm making fun of them. But they're just like, you don't know what skincare is. Let me teach you right I don't need somebody to teach me how to wear a dress uh, <laughs> so that's not the deal it made me feel really gross and it just soured my entire morning I was like well 
you know, I have the disposable income of a nine-year-old with a rich dad. Like, let me spend my money here. And this is a store that I've actually spent a ton of money at. And I go in and the person that I was behind the counter, I was like, you should at least remember that I have been here before and spent a lot of money before. So like the whole, all of it was really gross. And all of this to say like, the problem is capitalism. Like if I was not in love with shopping for expensive things, like people would not treat me like a bad person. And I don't know, but you know, like I was telling you, I like, I definitely remember this feeling when I was younger in Europe, like people definitely followed us around the store. It was bad. They would always like make you check your bag or whatever and humiliate you. But really, I just, I was like, really, are we still doing this in 2018? I just, I had forgotten. And you know, like, that's the problem. Never forget. Ugh, I'm so sorry that people are so terrible. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, it's ugh. okay. Like, this lady definitely got her cardio in today. Like, my God, I was like, you are going to lift all of these gowns, fool, and all of these <laughs> shoes. And I am don't need them. And then she kind of had to put them all back. But then when I was walking out of the store, like somebody was like, oh, did anybody help you today? And I was like, no, but I was followed around your I was followed around your store. It just like ruined my morning. It was not cool. I'm definitely going to write the manager about it because, you know, we love customer service in this (laughs) in this family. It's like the toll of, you know, it sounds like something so small and like immaterial and I'm annoyed at myself at how annoyed I am about it, but it is like really ridiculous. It's not small though, because also like there is, there is like class stuff going on, right? Wherein this is basically someone signaling to you that for whatever reason they have identified you as like not belonging in this space, right? Like they are showing you that like, like for whatever, like totally unjustified reason they've decided that they don't want you there. And like, that is a horrible feeling no matter what you're in a space to do. I know. And it's so stupid too. Like, I want to say this to like every luxury store. Like if a black person builds up the courage to walk into your store, especially somebody with uh, like that lives in a fat body works into your store. You better believe I have all of those coins in the bank. Like, you know, I just, it's like, this is the other side of the Julia Roberts, like, you made a huge mistake. Big, huge. <laughs> like that. Except not as charming, you know? And I'm like, this is... But it's also annoying how, like, small things like that in your day can really just, like, fuck it up. And I was like, this is, like, this is very irritating. Yeah. I mean, it, it, is, not, it is not a minor thing. Like, this is putting the aggression in microaggression. <laughs> Ugh, like, my God. Well, you know, the thing about this that is great is that um, it did like reminded me that just this weekend here in the United States of America, we were all reminded of the fear of being a black patron <laughs> because there's with the story about the these two young um, African-American men who basically got arrested at a Starbucks for being like just black Starbucks customers for waiting for their friend to arrive at a Starbucks like literally. Yeah. That was, yeah. And the thing is that like, I'm going to be really honest. I was in Hawaii all last week uh, <laughs> and in Hawaii, we don't get the news. I didn't know Barbara Bush had died. I like didn't like the aloha spirit is strong the like information does not get there <laughs> and so i had just seen like a very passing glance at this like black men's get, get arrested at starbucks and i was like ugh, like you know like what's the big deal or whatever or i hadn't read it and then like surprise surprise the person was political and reading their story was like really outrageous where i was like oh you're literally just in starbucks waiting for your friend like where nothing costs more than ten dollars at starbucks first of all So it's not like people go into the Starbucks to steal. They're literally just like, we don't like your black brown body in here because you're probably some sort of thug. Well, it's also about which Starbucks. 
It's in it. So Brenton Mock wrote a piece for City Lab about the fact that this is in this was in a neighborhood of Philadelphia that is expensive. That's that builds, Philadelphia builds itself as an exclusive neighborhood. That's like language on the city's tourism website. So like it's not just like any old Starbucks. It's like a space much like probably the store that you were shopping in that has like certain I know, class but also codes. like relax. But also I'm like, relax. You're literally a Starbucks. You're like Beyonce is your stupid logo. Like, what are you doing? Listen, I'm not telling you it makes sense. <laughs> I know, but you know, but it's just like, it's like class signifier. I'm like, you're literally just a dumb coffee shop from Seattle. Like calm down, you know? But also, yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely right about the class signifiers here and just how awful it is. Yeah. Ugh. I, I also feel like it's been interesting watching all of the like ripple coverage about the fact that Starbucks stores are going to be closing later this month for actually, hang on, let me get the exact wording of like what they're calling the training. Do you know offhand? Oh yeah. Cause, cause the, the Starbucks CEO is like the wokest CEO. He is always trying to get people to talk about race and, you know, and I'm just like, sir, we are just here for caffeine. I mean, he's the wokest CEO who doesn't give baristas the same maternity leave as his corporate workers. So, I mean, which is to say not no, that real, yeah. but you know what I mean? <laughs> but he also gives his baristas like healthcare, like, which is more than anybody else. True. Um, all of this to say capitalism is dirty. I'm not defending the Starbucks CEO. I'm just saying that he's particularly interested in the race. <laughs> it's true. So yeah. So the deal is on May 29th, the woke air quote Starbucks CEO will be closing all of its stores for an afternoon to essentially be like, what is race anyway? <laughs> Wow, I love that he thinks that in one afternoon he's going to train away racism. You know, like, good try, sir. I know. I just, like, I keep stopping to, like, you know, part of me, having seen a lot of comments to the effect of, yeah, like, literally everywhere in America needs to do this, uh, ranging from that to good luck, like, sensitivity training doesn't do anything. It's one of those hard things where it's like, okay, yes, like, this is an incident of racism at your store and like you are responsible for what happens in your stores. So like, I think you should do something. On the other hand, there is not like a great track record for what these types of trainings actually achieve in terms of the lived experience of people in those spaces. I completely agree with you that it's a thing that I think in a corporate setting should be talked about, right? And, but I guess the thing that scares me is that so many people don't realize that these kinds of um, like we're going to share this like Marshall Project piece in the in the notes uh, in the show notes. But um, the the writer here like makes a point that's like very real. It's like such incidents may register as minor on the scale of negative interactions black Americans have in our society, but they're still significant. They matter because they're often the prelude to encounters with the police. Indeed, when businesses and their employees find criminality and actions as banal as sitting while black, they're working as first responders in America's manic system of over-policing. You know, I don't know that like that's something that you can teach like Starbucks employees in an afternoon because frankly, myself, I am just grappling with that right now. You know, and I've talked about this like ad nauseum on the show is that like living like being black in America and not being black American is like has been such an eye opener for me. Like I laughed about the encounter earlier this morning at the store. But the truth is that like if I had done anything that that woman, you know, like considered as like, I don't know, attitude or like being angry or whatever, she had like cost to call the police. It is really terrifying. And the idea that like a corporation thinks that like they can address that and not address like, I don't know, like widespread systemic racism everywhere <laughs> at the same time is 
I'm just like, all everybody is playing with fire here. So while I'm like very much like good luck, like we need to start somewhere, but also we need to be serious about this. And this is why we need to be serious about it because racism isn't just these like ginormous, I don't know, like, like throwing people off of bridges because of the color of our skin. It literally starts with you like not wanting to serve us in the restaurant. Yeah. And I think too, that some of how this gets talked about um, is that like Starbucks trying to fix racism on one day in May, when in fact, like maybe set your goal, dial back your goal to Starbucks educates employees of all races that calling the cops on people of color does not mean the same thing as calling the cops when, you know, it is like a, a, a patron of a different race. And I, um, I immediately, when I saw this story, thought about Alex Nieto, a San Francisco resident who was killed by the police in 2016. He worked as a bouncer at a nightclub, which means that he had a taser clipped to his belt. And he was like hanging out in Bernal Heights Park, eating a burrito, either on his way into work or taking a break or something because he had his taser on him. And two white neighbors saw him, called 911. And then when the cops arrived, they claimed that he pointed the taser at them and they saw the red light and they thought it was the laser sights from a gun and they shot him. But all the officer stories contradict each other. I don't know. So the whole story, Rebecca Solnit wrote a piece about this. It was covered extensively in like Bay Area local press as well. But like, you know, I just I, I thought of that immediately when I heard that Starbucks story because I'm like, yeah, actually, like these men um, having like an altercation with the police in which they are still alive is like not the worst case scenario that can happen when you are totally clueless about like the history of policing in America and particularly men of color. Yeah. And also, like, you know, it's like zoom out a little more. Now these guys are like all over TV, like educating people. They've turned like into activists overnight. Not to say that it's not a worthwhile cause, but I'm like, wow, this is like being black is very exhausting. It's like an injustice is done to you. And then you have to like do something about it for other people. Just watching that has been really, really heartbreaking, you know, and thinking about just like all of the like minor small ways that we can be living our lives and be over-policed. When I lived in the Bay Area, I remember one time I like locked myself out of the house because I was taking the trash out. I was taking the trash out and I like, it was just, it was a bad look. Anyway, long story short, threw the keys away. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, oh, like I can break into my own house because I the window was open and all this stuff. I had literally my entire body into the the window when I just got the like black paranoia of like, holy shit, if a neighbor sees me, they will call the police right. and I will die. And I just like came back out, sat on my own porch for like two hours until a neighbor came home and uh, who had my keys was able to let me in. And I was like, that's literally what it's like to like be a black woman in a majority white society like is wild out here right and and i just like want that like I, if i had any hope it's like less fewer think pieces about whether one day of training will solve racial bias and more hitting home this point that like you know hello like white people tracking this story like think twice before you call the cops in a situation that involves someone who is not white period think twice before you call the cops period like maybe that is the the low level lesson that we should all be hammering home so that these men don't have to do like education on top of their trauma Ooh. Look at this podcast, just like opening on a how are you? And then now we are really out here. We are out here talking about over-policing. 
look, like, this is, like, decades of messaging to white people that, like, have grown up with the idea that, like, the cops are good and are there to save the day, right? Like, you are deprogramming some deep, deep, deep shit. Ugh. Yeah, imagine that, thinking that the cops can save the day. Well, I mean, like, day. that's how what? I was raised, right? Like, that's how a lot of people were, like, yeah. No, I know, but I'm like, I'm like, I was raised the right. complete opposite way of that. So even hearing you say it, it, like, boggles Well, right, mind. and realizing that, like, it doesn't matter that, like, that might be true of some individual cops, but, like, having a bit of a systemic analysis that says, like, you cannot invite the risk that happens when you call them for some people. Like, that is, that is, like... Actually, I think that that is a really big thing to ask people to get their heads around, like, although it is more concrete than just end racial bias. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, It's true. Anyway, how are you? Listen, (laughs) I I just took a midday freelancer shower, so I am well moisturized despite this late hour. Um, And... I, oh I just like, God. you know, my my problems, partially because I haven't left the house because I've been working like crazy, but my problems do not involve like running into like the systemically racist police state. So I'm just going to say that it's been more low key than yours. Probably my day. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my God. The story of white people. My day has been. Listen, more than you know yours. what? I can both acknowledge I, better. Better. I acknowledge it than like, can you imagine if I was like, oh, I have had such a hard day. Like one of my emails didn't go through and then I had to get on the phone for like 20 <laughs> minutes. Real. And real. I mean, I don't know. It is a hard line to real, walk. Right. Like real. where I'm like, you know, sometimes it's OK to acknowledge that like my problems are just not problems in the spectrum. You know, like it is a healthy thing. I know. But, you know, in this in the spectrum of our friendship, they are problems. It's like not our fault that society <laughs> is like pits our problems against each other. It's fine. Uh, yeah. OK. Well, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, <laughs> how you doing? I, Anne yeah. Can we talk about something like super happy, though? Please. CYG blood drive. My God. How like I cannot believe, you know, my whole life I've believed that humans are bad people. (laughs) And uh, that usually bears out for me. But like some people are extraordinary people. Like I, I just cannot believe how many people have been to blood drives in Austin, New York, DC, Minneapolis this weekend, San Francisco a while back, Los Angeles. I just like I can't believe it. And watching all of you make beautiful content about giving blood has it every single tweet and photo I've seen has made me tear up because it felt like such a self-indulgent request and you know like like very earnest and all of those things. I'm trying to keep it together and not cry. Um, I don't think I've cried on this podcast yet and I'm not going to start this year. (laughs) Next year, talk to me. (laughs) But it has just, it's just been, people are awesome. So thank you, CYG family. I am so overwhelmed by how kind you are. And, uh, you know, it's like one pint of blood helps up to three people. And so many people are getting really excited about um, because you get all these text messages when they use your blood and you get to like follow that trail. It's such an awesome way to do something nice for something that you're never going to meet, you know, and and you're not just doing it for them. You're doing it for their whole family and their community like you're you're saving someone else's life. So thank you for doing that. Um, Can I also hit you with the number, which is that so far that we know of uh, people associated with the CYG drive have given more than 500 pints of blood. 
holy moly which if you can so much blood in my fridge listen listen <laughs> we've, we've now rented a whole cold storage facility for all of your blood <laughs> um but yeah so that means like possibly up to 1500 people have been helped because of this effort and then also i just want to shout out everyone who went and gave on their own because i think that that is both like harder to get it together right to actually schedule the appointment but also you know, you don't have the like social experience of seeing a bunch of like-minded people who are there for the exact same reason, i.e. other amazing CYG listeners. And more people gave on their own than gave at blood drives that we hosted, like in total. So shout out to all of those solo heroes, non-joiners. I see you and I appreciate you. And that's like one reason this was so successful. So Ugh, we're going to leave the form up on the website until the end of April for you to like tell us about your solo donation. And you can find all of that at callyourgirlfriend.com slash blood drive. But we'll take that down after April just because, you know, we need to set some kind of boundaries on this. But we hope you all keep giving on your own or with potentially a buddy that you met at the blood drive. Ugh, keep giving. What a great message. <laughs> give blood, give money, give everything. I know. I love this. I And also, I'm just being very exuberant because I am seriously fighting the tears. It has been... Um, it, you guys are the best. Ugh. Yes. Okay. Well, that was like the best palate cleanse. <laughs> Platelet you know cleanse. You know not palate cleanse. <laughs> Plate, platelet cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, you're about to get your uh, your palate disgusted all over again. Oh, my God. What what now? Our favorite indoor cat, Jonathan Chase, <laughs> is back at it. <laughs> uh. You know, every time I read him, I'm just like, oh, like, you do not leave the house. You're an indoor cat. Like, it's cool. But also, my God goodness i'm so tired of this so anyway jonathan chait at new york magazine uh a magazine favorite of this family even favorites can make mistakes let's be real <laughs> I, you know listen your favorites make mistakes and you know in this this is not my favorite mistake <laughs> but anyway he has written this at a very irritating piece here's the headline democrats have great female presidential candidates they need to avoid the victim trap Tell us more about the victim trap, Jonathan Chait. Oh my God! Hang on, I'm gonna. F I'm trying to find like the right poll quote here. I mean, my face was on fire the whole time I was reading it, so it was it was hard to focus. Mm -hmm. Let me read to you what really irritated me. 
These headlines are not description of Harris's commanding testimony or anything she did. These are like headlines about Kamala Harris's testimony in Congress. They're descriptions of things that were done to her. And while the intent of the people expressing outrage at the interruptions was sympathetic, it was probably not helpful to Harris or to her political goals. It removed Harris of her agency and reduced her to the status of a victim. This illustrates the degree to which left-wing political discourse can paradoxically have a harmful effect on women who are trying to break political barriers. Well, so to be clear, left-wing political discourse in this case is people pointing out like very real incidents of sexism, bias, and discrimination against women in politics. Like that is like the specific right. part of like what he is calling left-wing political discourse. Which P.S. This is such a classic like anti-feminist argument, which is to say, if you identify a problem, you are like playing the victim. I know. Also, here's actually his definition of victim. It just simply means that if you're a woman who acknowledges structural injustice that like impacts your career, you're a victim. Um, which I'm like, do we really want to go here? This is wild. And the thing is that like, you know, I don't think Jonathan Chait is a stupid person, but he definitely does not write like a person who reads books about women, you know, or like knows any women. It's just really fascinating to me that he gets to be an important voice on the left or the center or wherever the fuck he thinks he is. Because this is such a basic thing. It is so basic, like sexism 101, that, of course, the female presidential candidate frontrunners are going to be faced with harassment and sexism. Like, that's a given. And for him to think that that, like, ascribes them victim status, he doesn't understand, like, what the specific aim of harassers and discriminators are. It also, to me, I'm just like, you're literally an idiot. There is a reason that people harass women and people discriminate against women. Yeah, I mean, so he, here's the, here's the part where I'm just like, I think that there is, like, many fucked up things in this world. There's, like, an interesting question at the heart of it. And, like, the answer is just, like, so wrong, I can't even get started. So he quotes... Jennifer Lawless, who is a professor of government at American University and studies women in politics. And she says, voters don't want to be in a position where they're being asked to vote for somebody who needs to be taken care of. And I think that, like, you know, I would have loved to see, like, some polling about what happens to actual, like, voter intentions or, like, opinion polls or public opinion polls after a candidate who is a woman, like, is open about some of the struggle that she's faced. Because what we know from looking at Hillary's career, which, to be fair, cannot be extrapolated to other politicians because she she is singular. But which she has acknowledged herself. Yeah. That, like, we don't have this kind of data because literally she's the only one we've let get this far. But what we do see about her is that when she is essentially going through some very, like, public shit that is out of her control like when she's being hit with a bunch of sexism on the campaign trail and she does mention it as a, as a real thing or like way back when, when like, you know, Bill's shenanigans were in the news in the 90s, like her approval ratings are always high at that point. Like actually, this is not like a truism that whenever women are public about the shit that they are put through, their other people's opinions of them go down. Like, I just, like, don't... I mean, I think she's... Jennifer Lawless at American University is probably right that voters don't want to vote for someone who needs to be taken care of. But I think that, like, a lot of women see women in public office telling stories of what they've had to overcome is not a invitation to be taken care of. It's like a, guess what? You don't have to take care of me because I got it done despite all this shit. Right, but it's also this thing where, like, 
he's basically saying that like this is victim venting, right? Ugh. Is that whenever women point out like structural damage of white male patriarchy, we are like we're venting, and it's like no, that shit is like actually dangerous and affects our lives every day. And the other part is that like that's literally the irony of what he like. It's very ironic that he's writing this article making that argument. Because then it means that us complaining about his article is also us just victim venting, you know, instead of acknowledging that, um, you know, we've read a book every once in a while. We would like to see a female president. And there are real structural issues for why we don't have women in power in this country. It's not because they're married to Bill Clinton or complaining about being lady senators or whatever. It's because the system is legitimately stacked against them. And that's something that is worth pointing out. Oh, yeah. And this is like a fucking triple axle that the patriarchy lands every time, which is to say that when someone (laughs) points out very real structural stuff, they are quickly labeled as the problem. And, you know, we are both mega fans of the scholar Sarah Ahmed, who both in her book, Living a Feminist Life, but also on her blog, Feminist Killjoys, has talked quite a bit about um, complaint. And when people make a complaint against the system, when they're like, hey, look, like sexism is real, or I was discriminated against, or someone tried to silence me when I was just doing my job, i.e. giving Senate testimony, they are labeled the problem. Like quickly, the problem is not, hey, guess what? United States senators are being shouted down when they're trying to do their job. The problem becomes a United States senator has spoken up about the fact that she's getting shut down. And I right. I think Ugh. I think it's possible to acknowledge how that works so quickly in real time that it probably does affect voters. But that doesn't mean that like these candidates are assuming the status of the victim. And it doesn't mean that all discourse about the problem is like endeavoring to turn them into victims. Right. And the thing is this is that like I have serious policy issues with a lot of these women candidates who are running in the same way that I had them with Hillary Clinton. And that's the stuff that, like, I'm like, which woman doesn't want to talk about that? I'm like, that's what we want to talk about. But the truth is that even when Republican women that I don't give a shit about are running, I see the sexism that they're confronted with. And it's okay to point that out. And, you know, and the other thing, too, about this that's very insidious is that, like, sure, Jonathan Chait is, like, you know, he's, like, a New York elite media, like, writer. So we we all assume, like, best intentions from him. But there is a little bit of self-interest when, like, a man tells you that a sign of strength is just, like, submitting to sexism every day. Yeah. You know? And that's something that is, like, worth pointing out. The other thing that I will say about Jonathan Chait specifically and a lot of these, like, online dudes that are always mansplaining you is that... The th- they have the thinnest skin themselves. And so it's really interesting for them to like tell women all day long that we should just like shut up and take it when they get so annoyed when somebody points out like a missing comma in one of their arguments. And, you know, I'm just like, you don't have to tell women that like we are not strong enough. The truth is actually that like we're too strong. And if we complained more, (laughs) we (laughs) wouldn't be here. But there's a reason for why we don't complain as much as we should, because people will tell us that we're victimizing ourselves. It's very irritating. Yeah. And like and this the thing about this article, and this is what I meant about it having some interesting stuff at the core of it. Like, I do think it's interesting to talk about how it is received when women or anyone in public life points out the structural ways that the deck is stacked against them. I think it's interesting to say, look, like we don't think silence is a great option, but let's look at what happens when they call it out. Like that's an empirical thing, right? But if you have a track record of basically a kind of centrism that tells women that like, 
mm, actually, it's not as bad as you think it is, or maybe you should just try being quiet, then I would uh, offer the humble suggestion that you were not the person to explore that issue. Perhaps someone who right. has a history. Don't mansplain me. Exactly. <laughs> Perhaps someone with a history of like supporting the fact that microaggressions and like just aggressions, aggressions are real should be the one to tackle this issue. I have lots of ideas for things to write that I know I am not the person to write it. Like this comes from being an editor for so long where I'm like, I would really love someone to tackle this issue, but for various reasons, be they my ability or my identity or like even the outlets where I write, I know that I am not the person to write that. And like sometimes the answer is the topic is valuable. Yeah, let's talk about what happens when women talk about suffering harassment women in politics talk about it publicly. But it's also could be the answer that you are not the person to be the one talking about that. <laughs> also, like, at the core of this is also just, like, intellectual dishonesty. Like, 100%, right? Because there's this part in the piece, like, the other part where, like, my head almost exploded. Jonathan Chait quotes a political science professor that says, sexual harassment is about power relations and any claim that a politician has been sexually harassed will make them look weak. I hear that quote, but I guess Jonathan Chain and I hear different lessons from that, right? Because basically what he is saying is that apparently voters are maybe more comfortable with powerful women who project strength all the time. I was like, isn't that the lady who just lost the election? <laughs> and so it really bothers me that this like intellectual rigor that he thinks he's bringing to everything else is like, it does not come to bear here. And that you know, he can write about all these other things like very smartly and consider them very thoughtfully. But when it comes to women, like it, like it's just not true. And I, and I see this every time these like bro dudes write about women's politics. My only conclusion from that is like, well, maybe women just don't matter to you like in general. Otherwise you would interrogate this as much as you interrogate other things. Yeah, I, I think that some of this too is like, it is a hard line even for well-intentioned people between describing the problem and like perpetuating it. And I think when you are not super well-intentioned, then it's like, oh my God, like it's, don't even go there. Like you've lost all privileges. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jonathan Chait is not an intellectually honest person and definitely not rigorous when it comes to writing or thinking about women. And uh, good luck to all the female candidates in 2020 and beyond. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. And also like good luck to everyone who is trying to draw some broad based conclusions about this stuff when we actually don't have enough women at high enough levels of politics to have meaningful data. So like just, you know, we always talk about being critical readers when you see someone making broad statements about what works or what doesn't in terms of how women candidates position themselves. Just know that the data isn't there like for anyone. I know. And also, like, the thing that is unfortunate, as you pointed out, is that this article actually makes, like, great points about how victimhood makes you, like, a lefty hero, but it frames you as weak among the general population. That's something that I would like to explore more. But no, we're stuck in sexism 101. <laughs> Future episode. Future episode for us. Future episode. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we should just start a podcast called This Article is Trash. And we go <laughs> through, like, one article a week. Uh, we're all yeah right like, uh, I feel like like we have to really check ourselves in order to keep this podcast from becoming like we trash a man who has said something like completely offensive on the internet you know are like, we trashing a man or is he trashing himself mm, we are pointing out a man trashing himself on the internet mm -hmm. that's what I thought <laughs> uh, so the podcast is actually called don't trash yourself where we point out yeah. how people have trashed don't themselves. trash yourself yep. 
Uh, Speaking of trashing yourself, I am devastated. Tell me. So, you know, like, my once Shiro, Shania Twain, like, country Shiro, Shania Twain, is, like, acting a fool right now. Mm. For those of you who don't know, because why would you not know about Shania Twain? Shania Twain did an interview with a guard. She has an album coming out, so she's like doing press right now. She was on a RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Where she <laughs> said no, nothing. Like she uttered like one thing the whole time. And honestly, Anne, I remember watching the episode and being like, this is a red flag. But you know when you love somebody, you're ov- you're willing to overlook a lot of things? That was the flag. It's true. Love is blind. Anyway, because... <laughs> Yeah, Shania's, like, not been out and about, like, promoting her album. But she's, like, so it's, like, she has this new album coming out. She was at Coachella, literally only hanging out with black people. Like, Shania, Quavo, and, uh, like, Timothée Chalamet. <laughs> she is having, she is living my best life, like, is basically what I'm saying. As most people who are about to go on tour, she is doing a lot of press. And she was asked about our president. Sorry, y'all's president. <laughs> Her answer was not great. She, hold on, let me just read it so that we're all on the same page about what happened here because I am legitimately devastated. Also, mind you, Shania Twain is Canadian. That, like, I will get Important into that later. detail. They asked her about Trump and she said that she would have voted for Trump. So here is her quote. It's not only the way in which she expresses her conservatism. If she had been able to vote... So basically the writer is saying that like Shania is a conservative person, which like we know, we've been listening to the music. If she had been able to vote in the U.S. election, she would have plumped <laughs> for Trump, <laughs> she says. I would have voted for him because even though he was offensive, he seemed honest. Do you want straight or polite? Not that you shouldn't be able to have both. If I were voting, I just don't want bullshit. I would have voted for a feeling that it was transparent. And politics has a reputation for not being that, right? My heart sank and I am like, can't even, you know, it's like, you know, you can't trust a country music lady. Like, here are the people in country music that you can trust. Dolly Parton, at least two Dixie Chicks, and Casey Musgraves. Everybody else you need to be suspicious of. But like, you know, we listen to the music and we rock with them. Also, in the era of Trump... Being a celebrity publicist is maybe the hardest job because these people don't listen. All you have to do, it's like if somebody asks you about politics, you can just decline. Like if you really think that you don't have the chops to answer this or you don't want to like alienate your fan base, which like, let's be real. And country music, you know, it's it's a place that the left and the right, like it's the place that we dance together. And so if you know that you're not trying to lose some market share, just say nothing. Like Dolly Parton never speaks about politics. I do not know her politics, but like I see what she's doing. She's been out here donating millions of books to like poor kids for years. And, uh, you know, she has all those secret hidden tattoos. So like I fundamentally believe she's a good person, but who knows? Uh, But like, you know, you just don't have to say anything, particularly if you are not even an American. Like you especially do not have to say anything. So this was like such an own goal from Shania. But here's the thing. The apology is terrible. She like, you know, within 15 minutes of this article like being tweeted out, like, you know, she was trending. And there's literally three reasons celebrities trend. Like one, they died. Or two, their marriage died. Or three, their careers died. And like... No, no. There's a very rare fourth scenario in which they have just released something amazing and surprised us. Like, I'm sorry, like Beyonce has trended. When was the last time? When was the last time? Please, Beychella won. Okay, you're fair, fair, <laughs> Bachella. True, true. 
Um, it is a rare one, but it is possible. Yeah, like confined to Beyonce. Yeah, <laughs> confined to Beyonce and like the occasional like other crossover that's like popular on that platform. I feel like it was like like what various members of One Direction have occasionally achieved this. <laughs> oh wow! I like. We'll unpack that later. <laughs> I'm just saying. So there's another category. Here is here is Shania's terrible apology. I would like to apologize to anybody I have offended in a recent interview with The Guardian relating to the American president. If you start your apology with, like, I want to apologize to anybody I offended, you already lying. <laughs> the question caught me off guard. What about the question? The, this man has been president for two years. Are you off guard of being a resident of planet Earth? <laughs> As a Canadian, I regret answering this unexpected question without giving my response more context. Okay, let's hear the crazy context. I am passionately against discrimination of any kind and hope that's clear from the choices I have made. It is not clear, Shania. <laughs> and the people I stand with that I do not hold any common moral beliefs with the current president. You literally said that he was honest. So you hold one common moral belief with the president. I was trying to explain a response to a question about the election that my limited understanding of what the president talked about to a portion of America, like an accessible person, oh my God. they could relate to as, as he was not a politician. This, first of all, Shania Twain did not write the statement. Anyway, my answer was awkward. Who are these adults that cannot have conversations about politics? It's like either get in the ring or get the fuck out the kitchen. But certainly should not be taken as representative of my values, nor does it mean I endorse him. You literally said you would vote for him. A vote is an endorsement. You're a public figure who said you would vote for him. That is the exact definition of an endorsement. That's the definition of endorsement. <laughs> I learned English when I was 15. I make music to bring people together. Ugh, you used to. My path will always be one of inclusivity as my history shows. First of all, I am really truly shocked that a Canadian doesn't know how to formulate a good apology. Like that is a stereotype that I held on to for a long time. <laughs> and my world, my world is shattered once again. Every day that you get older, you just stray more and more from God's light and like the truth. But anyway, Shania Twain, bad apologizer. But also... This apology is fucked up on many levels because Shania obviously knows that she has like a strong lefty base, you know, like she like knows that like we're out here singing like, man, I feel like a woman, my number one karaoke song. Now I have to retire it. <laughs> All of this stuff. But she wants to have it both ways. You literally can't say that your path is one of inclusivity and that you like your values are good and you can't articulate your values. Also, it is so like... I'm sorry. You know how I feel about like celebrities saying dumb shit all the time. If you don't have an answer to something, just say that you're not going to answer it or ask your publicist for like a one liner of how you answer this. That offends me to my core that an adult woman can be like, I don't have opinions about politics. Then shut the fuck up about the politics. But then the other thing about this apology that's really messed up is that you can tell that she's trying to play both sides, you know? And the, and the truth is that, like, her tour is not sold out. So, like, mm, like, way to rock the boat before the tour is sold out. But now everybody's angry. It's, like, the people on the right that like her are angry because she's not doing a full-throat endorsement of, like, their president. And the people on the left are angry because she made us boo-boo the fool. And now we can't sing Man, I Feel Like a Woman at karaoke anymore. Oh, man, I feel like a totally half-assed, horrible answer to a question I didn't I have to know. answer in the first place. Yeah. Shania Twain, this does not impress me much. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I just, I, man, Twitter is the worst thing that has happened to me vis-a-vis -vis celebrities. Like, do not follow your faves, like ever, just ever, because they will all disappoint you. 
did you read so like the the last like little kicker quote of this article so so she doesn't get into this stuff it's like the second to last paragraph of this profile of her and the the very last line is i'm comfortable in my own skin <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> you you just said so much, actually, like so much about that previous paragraph, like with that line. And also like maybe in your own skin, but like not so much in your own ideas about the world. And you're right. Like who are the publicists who are not at least preparing you to answer broad questions about this presidency, about Me Too? I don't think it's fair that women who are entertainers are asked to answer questions about Me Too at a greater rate than male entertainers are. But guess what? Also, this is a thing that's happening in our culture right now. And if you want your music to be consumed and like appreciated alongside like other things that are happening in this moment, not as a frozen in amber time capsule with its thumb out in the desert and an amazing leopard print jumpsuit with a hood, then you have to <sighs> like own that and like want to actually engage in the current dialogue. And so like, yeah, I know. prep for it or not. When I am king, in order to become a celebrity, you're going to have to pass like an exam. Like you need to know current events or we don't let you be a celebrity. Because I do think that it's kind of like I always hate it when reporters ask celebrities like, you know, their opinions on things. Because the truth is that a lot of them like do not have opinions on anything. You need to sell out the arena and now you have managed to make everybody angry at you. Like, what was the point of this profile? Can I just say, though, that not having an opinion is a luxury. <laughs> like, if you are someone who um, has the ability to say, like, oh, I just don't have, a, have an opinion about one of the major, like, defining political things of our day, it means that you are like acknowledging that you are not personally affected, that you either so wealthy or so privileged as to be insulated from the effects of major political shit. And I'm like, that is not, that is not a good look like for public figures or for private figures who are just trying to be like, mm, no opinions here. And also like having a platform is a responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I know that like all these people are like, I'm just like, I'm just famous and I'm not here to like teach your children manners or whatever. And like, I agree with that. But also the truth is that if you're going to sit down to talk to The Guardian about finding your voice, which is literally what the album is about, you better have found your voice because they're <laughs> going to ask you to use it. So um. it's just, uh, you know, I'm just going to go back and focus on my favorite Shania moment of all time. The fact that she married the husband of the woman who stole her own husband. Like, I'm just going to focus and visualize on that because that is a top three most gangster shit in the world. Has she sold and her life rights? Can we watch that as a movie sometime? Because that would be oh so Oh, my God. Her Oprah interview when this happened was, like, so epic. Because, yeah, she was, like, married to the guy who, like, produced all of her albums, Mutt Lang. <laughs> LOL. Ugh. You know what they say about lying down with fleas, Anne. Anyway. Wait, lying down with dogs. <laughs> Sorry, lying down with dogs. I don't speak English. <laughs> lying down with dogs. And uh, and then the lady that Mutt had the affair with was her assistant, but also her best friend. Oof. Don't make your best friend your assistant. They're going to resent you and then steal your husband. But also, like, this is how rich Shania is, that, like, the assistant was, like, watching her estate in Switzerland because I think, like, Mutt is from Switzerland or some shit, so they had, like, a chateau there. And... She, like, stole her husband. And then they were pregnant at the same time. But then she, like, like Shania took her husband. And the other lady's husband is hot. Like, very hot. So, like, oh, yeah. I think all in all, Shania won. But also, 
You know, this just also reminds me that Shania Twain lives in Switzerland, and I'm like, yeah, of course you don't have opinions about everything. Literally only bad people emigrate to go live in Switzerland because Switzerland is problematic. She has like a vanity geotag on her Twitter in Timmins, Ontario, but we know the truth. (laughs) We know the truth. We know the truth. But anyway, this story is juicy. Lifetime, make the movie ASAP. Um, Ugh. Shania, I am so. What am I gonna do with my thing to see her now? I need to decide if I'm gonna see her or not. I'm I, very upset. This is. I do not. I do not envy you this choice. I have to say. I mean, the ticket's already bought. The damage is done. Can I still enjoy Shania Twain's music? Like, absolutely. It's not like I think about Shania Twain on a human level or whatever. But I'm like, this has legitimately soured my experience of her music. Mm-hmm. Yep. It uh. happens. It happens. Made me boo-boo the fool after I had been Instagramming about her for like all month. Jesus. I, I'm sorry. My thoughts are with you during this difficult time. Thank you. Please respect my privacy. You know another red flag, Anne, is when she threw shade at Brad Pitt. I should have known right then. <laughs> Bad, Brad Pitt is, is just busy like laying around on sand dunes and gazing into the sky. Like, like what does I, she have against listen. Brad Pitt? <laughs> Brad Pitt is also kind of woke. He like produces some of your favorite black movies like and he doesn't talk about it. And he's like very heartbroken right now and listening to uh, Frank Frank Ocean. And now he's dating an age appropriate lady. Like I'm super into it. Okay. I feel like this is just giving someone points for doing what they should be doing all along and not being terrible. Like all of that sounds great. I know. But but listen, (laughs) it's just I just want to talk about what I like to refer to as the Amal Clooney syndrome or like Amal Clooney like... I don't know. Syndrome is not the right word. The effect. The Amal Clooney effect. That like now all of these like useless dudes are like dating and marrying like women in their, um, I would say their age range, but they're definitely all punching above their weight. Um, So, you know, but I'm like, I'm super into it. Yeah, I'm excited to be like in the era when the like most coveted relationship status is with a like super intellectual woman who is roughly your age as opposed to like you know the the kind of like traditional like this woman is only interesting to me for her looks much younger partner yeah and definitely smarter than you like definitely smarter than you like i don't even know how george Clooney holds conversations with amal or like brad pitt with this mit professor it's like come on i mean nothing nothing becomes an alpha like another alpha like that is the truth (laughs) (laughs) like like i just i don't know what all these alphas messing around with betas are about like in in any sort of like gender like like configuration (laughs) it's true it's true it's true um well you know mr aminatu so is taking psats right now so uh (laughs) as soon as he graduates college like we will both be alphas (laughs) I can't with you right now. Uh, uh, it's true. It's true. Know your worth. Uh. <laughs> All right. I feel like I feel like anytime you mention baby Mr. So, I'm like, I need to go right now. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. When you're officiating the wedding of me and a 19-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> the, mis- uh, the Mr. So effect. <laughs> I know. The Mr. So effect. I'm like, just let them finish high school um also y'all i am obviously joking about this nothing irritates me more than a younger man so uh (laughs) we'll talk about that on our other podcast don't trash yourself oh my god (laughs) yeah i I actually feel like this is a perfect talking like perfect subject matter for don't trash yourself although you'd probably have to write something about it on the internet first and then we could we could take it up on our other other podcast 
It's true. It's true. Um, oh my God. Can we talk about last week's episode where we were not here? Okay. For like one quick second, speaking of men, like I have to say that like when, when we consider having someone who does not identify as a woman appear on this podcast, we take that burden very, very seriously because yeah, we go to our shamans about it. Like it's serious. And, and I do think that the men who were guests, uh, while we were like chilling at home, getting stoned and contemplating how to end the police state, they were really, really incredible. They really were. And, and I obviously cried, listen to it because listening to the show, because I, you know, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be really fun. And they all took it like super seriously. I was like, oh, I should probably take my own show this seriously and be this, uh, this thoughtful. But also I was just reminded of why they're in our lives. We like, we know a lot of good dudes, you know, and I throw a lot of shade at dudes here and I stand by it. Like, Dudes as a group, not amazing. But like some individual men might could survive the gender wars, you know? Like I'm into it. It's true. And now I'm like, I'm like, the the Shania lessons are real. I'm like, men, don't pro- don't prove our faith wrong. <laughs> like, I know. Had to go to some of them and be like, are you gonna embarrass me? Don't embarrass me in my own house. Right. Like, is there uh, any reason you need to say no to this assignment? I won't ask for details, but please say no. Yeah, I won't <laughs> ask for details, but like just know that like the wrath of vagina kind will fall on you. So, um, but also no, we, um, they were all great. So thank you to all of our, all of our pals who hosted last week. You were amazing. And, um, and we love having you in our lives. It's true. Uh, okay. On that hyper note, I will see you on the internet. I will see you on the internet. <laughs> You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Am I singing? Oh, my God. No, no, no. I Gina, leave it. Percocet- leave it. <laughs> I don't know. I think I had to take one baby Percocet today. That's probably what's going on. Oh, my here. God. I okay. am hanging up on you. <laughs>